0: Sports Finder Community. We're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sports, and today it is no different. I have the man himself, Mr. Gary McCoy. Gary, welcome to, to the show, buddy. How are you?
1: Great, Ahmad. Great to uh, speak to you.
0: Uh, it is my absolute pleasure, mate. Gary, um, before we uh, dig dive, dig, yeah, deep. <laughs> um, where did it all begin for you, buddy?
1: Wow. <clears throat> Sports began as a kid uh, growing up in Melbourne uh, as a swimmer, uh, converting over to this fledgling sport called baseball, which was pretty small back uh, in that um, in that market, and um, uh, through to making a decision after my high school certificate, what kind of uh, uh, pathway I wanted to take, whether it was kind of... I had two options, I had graphic design or physical education and recreation at Victoria University, so I took the latter, um, transitioned uh, into a career in sports and uh, found myself now today uh, living in the United States and um, back and forth to Australia, to Asia, and kind of, you know, I say the the globe is my uh, office right now, so kind of uh, travelling all over the world that we work in sports science and performance.
0: Very, very nice. Um, take us through your your current journey and where and where, you, where you're currently at.
1: Yeah, uh, very interesting. I think when people hear my name uh, in the United States, they associate me very directly with the company Catapult Sports. And in 2013, um, I was uh by the, uh, Sean Holthouse, and um, their executive team to launch, really try to launch their business in the United States. Prior to um, prior to my coming in, uh, the company uh, from 2010 to 2013 had amassed about $140,000 worth of sales, couldn't figure out why American football teams weren't like Australian football teams and really wanted wearable technology to objectify some of the decisions that they were making. And so when I came on board, I spent about three months trying to understand, you know, the barriers to entry in the marketplace, um, what people knew about athlete monitoring at that point in time. Did they understand this concept back then, which was load management and how that affected performance on the weekend, how it affected rate injury. So I very quickly, as an applied sports scientist, the catapult developed an educational strategy Uh, to bring, basically, sports science into the United States. And uh, we're on the very front end of that, and I was then fortunate to be able to recruit a team and grow Catapult's revenues in that first 12 months to $5 million, uh, which gave the company the kind of access to move, uh, to go public on the Australian market, and today they're the biggest company, sports tech company in the world. So, I mean, that was... um, uh, the three, three and a half years I spent with Catapult, see them achieve what they've achieved is uh, certainly a highlight
0: in my career. Wow, interesting. Um, j- during that uh, journey with uh, Catapult, I'm sure you would have dealt with um, some of the largest teams in the, in the United States or basically in the world. Um, what are what are some of the trends and patterns that you've you've seen across all these teams? Like what what do they all look for? How how are they different from one to one? How does one one to the other get that competitive advantage?
1: Really interesting question. And I'll start by saying at the highest elite levels, like let's talk about the National Football League, the NFL, uh, for a second. I'll give you some uh, some examples. So. Um, when we were introducing catapult we used to come on site with the team do trials of the product you know set the players up monitor a practice session show them the outcomes of that practice session and then deploy the technology for a period of time and then see if there was any insights or any patterns that were emerging on specific athletes so we had this process in place and i was spearheading a lot of that and i was working immediately with the dallas cowboys the jacksonville jaguars um uh, the Chicago Bears, I could go down the 21 different teams that I worked with in that period. But I got to New York and I was working with the New York Jets at their training camp up in, um, up in uh, north uh, north of the state of New York, up near Syracuse. And um, I remember being up there and this team did not want to share their practice plan with me. So it's very difficult if you don't know the practice plan to know what kind of segments you're kind of monitoring and segmenting for an out later on. And teams, a lot of teams like to say, hang on to these plans like they were like, like they were going to bomb Germany that they were military plans, right? <laughs> so they're hanging on to it really closely. And each team that I went to had the same thing. Like, oh, we don't want to share our practice plan. Really, every one of these practice plans were identical, and it made me realize at that point in time, boy, there's you know, it's kind of like talking to somebody at NASCAR. You know, I've done some work in around Formula 1 and NASCAR. And a NASCAR exec told me, he goes, look, look, all the drivers are the same. All the cars are the same. We make up the difference in the pits. This is where we make the difference up. It's how do we get that 1%. Where do we get it from? So that's the kind of thing that enabled me at Catapult to try to find, okay, what are those 1% or can we solve for a very specific problem? So to that end, that was our approach that we are using. But to answer that question, I mean, um, it, firstly, leadership emerges from all different areas within the organization. Uh, intelligence uh, comes from all different areas in the organization. Risk-taking, the ones who take the higher risks are the ones that seem to emerge um, to emerge faster and uh, have, have greater success faster. There's a lot of examples of that. I won't
0: go into in the NFL. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, makes a lot of sense. So, it's your one percentage basically that that really make the um, difference. And
1: Yeah, I'm, in the NFL, they'll tell you it's a game of inches. Well, yeah, it is. It's, it is an absolute game of inches. It's uh, how do you get, well, firstly, and this is another way I can answer that question, too. I mean, one of the most challenging things from the very start, when i working with elite teams, and you would think that this would be common, but it is so uncommon, is to get a team from the front office to the coaching staff to the sports performance, sports science, sports medicine staff to all agree on what they determine key performance indicators are for the individual athlete. And I'll give you an example of that. So if I have a baseball pitcher that I was working with and we knew that he had pitched so many innings the year before, we're looking to extend the amount of innings he's available to pitch this year. We're looking to improve his velocity or spin rate on the baseball itself. Those are very measurable things, very simple key performance uh, markers that we can set as a guide to guide our practice towards. Getting... An organization to agree on those things might be the biggest challenge in the world uh, when you're starting out and, and working with a team. So I mean as, 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 as simple as that sounds, getting that framework right and getting everybody to agree at the front side is amazingly challenging in certain organizations.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Wow. Okay, so you've got all these Massive teams who are worth billions of dollars, and then yeah. you have all these elite athletes, and then you got basically they all got all this technology at their hands. I'm sure you've worked with most of the NFL teams, let's say, yeah, and yeah. the NBA one, and whatnot, one. yeah. So, um, yeah, so how has technology and actually sports tech in general? impacted these leagues. I mean, we've seen them develop, we've seen these athletes become more flexible, more uh, more athletic than than ever, basically. How has yeah. the tech component of it taken this game to a whole new level?
1: I'll give you kind of a journey here and part of it's personal, part of it's current state of the industry. When I, prior to coming into Catapult, I spent seven years with two different Major League Baseball teams. Um, you know, having a baseball background, that was a natural progression for me. So, both the Florida Marlins and Houston Astros is who I was working for, as well as uh, end up working with the team in Asia prior to coming to uh, Catapult. And all the time as a sports scientist, all the time or a performance sports performance scientist, I like to use that term a little bit uh, more now. Um, for my for the seven years that I was in baseball, it's very difficult to have a conversation that was objective or based upon science. please opinion. So when I'd have a discussion like I'd have a pitching to the sky, it's out of shape. Well, hang on a sec. Before you throw that kid under the bus and influence everybody else's decision in the clubhouse, please give me an indication of what data you have for that. And I remember hearing Obama say this, uh, you know, back during his presidency, it's you're entitled to your own opinion and not entitled to your own facts. And these were the things that were missing to have qualified and quantifiable conversations around the table was facts. And so when Catapult approached me and they said, hey, we've got this product that the athletes wear now. And you know, Australian rules football will show you the kind of work we're doing there and the changes it's made in the evolution of the game itself. Because of because we can now apply this technology, we can now have an objective conversation. Well that set my antenna off really, really quickly. It's like, oh my god, I've been looking to objectify movement and not have an argument with somebody around opinions. I want data yeah. to support that. So technology in in the in the entry point has enabled teams to objectify movement on the athlete, to objectify fatigue, to objectify load, and they do it through measurements of distance, through impacts, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the things that they're they're using mostly technology for. So I was introducing technology and really introducing this objective nature of sports science for the United States in 2013. Um, where it's kind of gone today is that there seems to be more stuffing of the silo with technology, and it's very difficult because I did kind of a, an audit the other day. I said, you know what, if I mark down all the different things that are being measured, I came up with 29 different things that technology is measuring inside of sports. Some teams have a dozen, some teams have all 29, some teams have one. You know, it's variable across the place. I think there's three things that we really want to look at with the use of technology. And firstly, understand why we're using the technology. Don't just try to slap on a, a catapult GPS unit and say that, okay, that's going to improve my process. Understand why you're putting that uh, that product on, onto the athlete. What questions are you looking to answer from this and what actions are you going to take from that? So firstly, You'll hear a lot of tech companies out there, and I get sick of hearing this, actionable insights. I mean, but they don't define what those things are. I'm so sick of hearing that tagline. You know, I want to slap the next person who says it. Um, Actionable insights. Well, it's a a bucket term, right? I'm just so sick of hearing it. I know you're laughing at me now. But it's a bucket term that doesn't have individual application. So to that end, I like to look and say, look, what are the things that you control inside your facility? You control the amount of, let's call it stress. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll give you an example of this. When I was with Catapult, I was with the Arizona Cardinals and we were in, uh, their, um, in their OTAs, their organized team activities, which is like their sprint training. And they had two wide receivers that exactly the same thing called playload. alert Catapult, um, pushes out, which is a combination of how much distance they've gone it's nearly all distance-related uh, and some of the um, IMA-type data uh, that creates this number called play alone. So when these two athletes had both of the play alone schools, Anthony Coe said to me, come here. He goes, I've got one athlete. His name is Larry Fitzgerald, a phenomenal name in the NFL. I know, I know, I
0: know now, who he is. I know who he is yeah, because... Yeah, oh, brilliant.
1: Uh, yeah. Anyway, I... Um, He's bouncing on his toe. He go into the locker room after practice and do a pretty late session. Whereas the other rookie receiver, who did exactly the same player load score, Jeron Brown, was curled up in the fetal position in front of his locker. And he goes, "What does player score mean to me when they're both the same? Look at him." I said, "Yeah." I said, "We're measuring stress here, but we're not measuring stress response." So I said, "If you want the complete picture of those are the two things I always throw back to teams and say, look, measure stress that you're implying and that you can change in your practice. Measure stress response for the athlete and then understand the chronic nature of this continuance of training with the athlete. Is there asymmetry that's building up that could cause uh, concerns? Are there are there problems relative to um, the way a team um, measures the the indicated speaking about earlier um, are they aligned in that direction? But just do the simplest things that you can control and manage and affect an outcome from. Forget all this stuff. Like I mean, there's there's good to know. There's there's nice to have. And try to keep it keep it simple because I think we're at the point now where sports still today has a big injury problem. Yeah. It also. It also has a big data problem. There is now a big data problem in sports, which has led me to kind of investigate things like artificial intelligence and how we create models around that.
0: That's very interesting. Wow. Larry Fitzgerald, eh? He's a freak. He's he's a freak.
1: And and Ryan, you know what? He goes to Melbourne just about every year. I don't know if he went this year. Um, And uh, Ben Graham was the name of a punter that was on the Arizona Cardinals for a short period of time, I think about three seasons.
0: What, the AFL player? Sorry, mate? The former AFL player, Ben Graham?
1: Yeah, yes. And it was out of Geelong, apparently. Yeah. uh, When I first met Larry, he came up to me in the locker room. He goes, oh, Gary, you're from Australia, Whereabouts?" I said, I'm from Melbourne. He goes, oh, do you get down to Geelong much? And I I was floored. (laughs) I was like, hang on a minute and he you me at that point he goes what about Torquay do you ever go to the Torquay pub I like, what what the you to be here how do you know about this yeah right and I found out that every year he'd go and visit uh, post-season he gets out of Australia um, he's probably seen more of the country than I have but um, one of the one of the nicest athletes you'd ever want to meet and work with probably is in, is in my top five for sure
0: wow phenomenal yeah, uh, yeah. Gary uh You've been on a bit of a journey, mate. Um, you've definitely right. seen a lot and heard a lot and experienced a lot. For those young young guns trying trying to climb the hierarchy, um, and I'm sure you've done the same based on, I mean, Victoria University I also went there, but as they say, Victoria University is humble beginnings. <laughs> it
1: is. It really is,
0: yeah. So, so I... I
1: yeah, it was called Foot yeah. <laughs> you know, I also went there from
0: two thousand and seven to two thousand and twelve, so you know. Love it. Um, Love it. so you've been through that journey, mate. Uh, what's your advice to these young people trying to make in in in, in the into all the world of sports tech?
1: Well, coming from a coming from a, an OG in the sports science and performance world, I guess I would um, yeah, you know, I, I was talking to a mate of mine at the NFL Combine about four weeks ago now. Uh, Michael Gervais, who's the um, he's kind of the sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks, but uh, he has an incredible podcast series too um, on, on high performance. Uh, so feel free to look that up, and I can shoot you over a link to that as well. Uh, Michael and I were having a having a quiet coffee in the corner of the world, and he said to me, he goes, he goes, tell me about your your process now because the first time we met was like back in 2013 and I said yeah I said I, I seem to be now more guided by internal values than I am by external measurement and he said well let's unpack that a little bit let's dive deeper into that he goes where do you think he goes because this was, was parallel to all the conversation he had and he said to me where do you think you know, most young sport performance uh, practitioners are I said well they're looking to prove themselves they're out in the marketplace and they're trying to find, you know, the, firstly defend their knowledge about, uh, hey, I know what chronic and acute load is, or I know how to use a catapult device, or I know how to do this, um, and I know the application. And it's it's kind of self-centred and um, and quantifiable. They're trying to put runs on the board, so to speak. Whereas as you progress through the market, I think the quicker that you find internally what your passion is for. And if it's not athlete-centric as a model, I'd say find something else to do. Um, The athlete evolution is kind of what I explain as my passion and my DNA. Anything that's about athlete evolution, I am on board for. And if I find a technology uh, and a way to train my athletes a little bit differently, or a system, or a method, or a specific stretch that can impart evolution to that athlete's performance, then I'm all in. Um, you've got to find that passion. I would say try to stay in the sport that you have the greatest passion for uh, because you'll have the greatest empathy not only for the athletes at the end of the day, but you'll, be, you'll have that internal engine driving. And that's what should be... All it, try not to stop trying to prove yourself continue improving yourself and stay in that part because i think that is where success comes from
0: very very wise words absolutely agree um, if there's passion there's persistence there's determination there's tough times that you'll get through basically um all right awesome gary thank you very much i really really appreciate you joining me on the show you have shared a lot of insight and knowledge with us all um, before we let you go, where can people find you online?
1: Wow, okay. Um, LinkedIn is probably where uh, most people track me down. It's, uh, so you'll find me on LinkedIn under Gary McCoy. I think it's uh, uh, Strength Coach 21 and I think I've got that same um, handle on Twitter as well. And uh, Gary at McCoyPerformance.com is my email address. So any one of those three will catch me
0: done and we'll put those links in our description show notes whatever you want to call them um ladies and gentlemen uh it's been an an eventful conversation with the man himself mr gary mccoy gary i just want to thank you for joining me on 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 the show once again thank you very much for joining me on the sports finder podcast love it good luck thank you Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?